we have those conversations a lot about reminding newer baristas or being really precious with your craft that like you you don't know that person's story and like let's find a way to perhaps dialogue about like how can I meet your needs or in a non-threatening way be like oh why don't you talk to me about what it is that you are wanting and then maybe we can find a way that you don't have to waste a paper cup or you don't have to you know how can I supplement this drink so it still tastes good and it doesn't affect your health. And that was Emily Peel. She's the brand director of High Five Coffee, one of Asheville's most beloved craft coffee and espresso bars in town. And this is the Making It in Asheville podcast, a podcast where the two of us sit down with people like Emily, ask what they're making and how they are making it in Asheville. And we're your hosts, Sarah and Tony. And in this episode, we sat down with Emily at the Riverside location of High Five. They have three locations in town and uh, sat outside on like the most beautiful early fall day and had, in my opinion, one of the more meaningful conversations we've had yet on this podcast. You're smiling. Because I think they're all meaningful. I know, but there were just a couple (laughs) moments in this where like we got to a special place in like the empathy required to work in service and like taking people for where they are in the moment when they walk in and like if they want a weird thing request for their coffee it's it's a yes but it's also trying to understand I just I think that her way of seeing people was very 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 powerful oh for sure I mean thinking about the idea of coffee is so simple right it's everywhere every town has coffee but um, the idea that we were able to get to that really deep point on empathy is really interesting, you know, in the world of coffee. Yeah. And I mean, I think that shows in their locations, like we've, you know, fallen for high five uh, in our short little while here. We have friends who absolutely love it. Um, and it, and it comes through. And so her story is, I think also really interesting and fantastic. Um, has a similar uh, kind of picked up and moved to Asheville before there was really a clear plan. Um, and that, you know, kind of urgent, I don't know, urgent, but uh, fast move turned into a brand director at people's probably most popular Asheville coffee establishment. Um, and I think that's really remarkable. Um, Emily represents one of like the non-owners in the podcast so far. But she takes a like owner's mindset. I think one of the, my favorite lines was like, I care more than anyone else. And yeah. so um, when you do care more, you get to you know, take on more responsibility. And I, and I think that the work that she's doing at High Five is really awesome. I love the, um, the, the little checklist of uh, when you travel, like travel tourism for coffee, coffee tourism, and checking out coffee shops in other cities, the way that she thinks about coffee shops was special really is yeah and I, I thought it was really interesting also just to get to know a little bit of the behind the scenes story of high five coffee since it is such a well-known brand in the Asheville community uh, it was really fascinating to get her point of view of how it all sort of started and came together and how it's grown over the years what have been some of the challenges they faced and and what kinds of things have they done that have helped them stand out from other coffee shops in town 
Yep. And that, you know, high fives growth as a coffee shop kind of mirrors the growth of coffee as a community here mm-hmm. in Asheville. And so yeah. we kind of finished up um, or rounded out the conversation with a conversation about uh, the coffee community in Asheville and how a really incredible portion of it is showing up for the Asheville Coffee Expo. And so we unpacked that. It's in its fourth year. Um, it seems like there's going to be some really, I'd say, exciting. I mean, it, everything's exciting when you're having a lot of coffee, I think. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, be careful if you, if you go visit. <laughs> don't, don't drink all the coffee. But it seems like it's going to be really um, a fun weekend in uh, the River Arts District. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we won't be able to be there because we will be on our honeymoon. honeymoon. We just got married. But um, we have every intention of going and it's next year and of supporting this incredible expo. Um, we, we love coffee. So I think learning about it and getting to meet some of the roasters in town mm-hmm. as well as the just experts, uh, um, both at you know, high five coffee, counterculture coffee, and all the other coffee shops in town. Um, it just seems like a really, really cool event. So, without further ado, let's hop into this episode. Enjoy. Emily, where are we? Right now, we are at the third high five, the high five Riverside location, which is just on the edge of the north edge of Asheville where it hits Woodfin, uh, right on the French Broad River. Um, and so we are outside mm-hmm. and we are literally looking at the French Broad River. Um, it is a clear sky, perfect, couldn't pay, oh, perfect day, yeah. pay yeah. for a day to look like this. Um, a little breeze. Moving west to east. <laughs> We're yeah. in the shade. It's perfect. It's a perfect day. And this location is so cute. So cute. I feel like people don't know about this. Well, we particular... didn't. We didn't until, we yeah, didn't. until last week. And oh, really? you told like, us to, you know, like, check it out. We it, did. It both means I'm doing my job and I'm not doing my job. Yeah. Like, you can come pu- here. I, I like to meet out how, how many people know about it kind of slowly. So what, what I'll say is that it was starred on my, at least, Google map, mm-hmm. but we had never been. Okay. And, like, couldn't. Haven't been close enough that we could have like seen it by accident. Yeah, and also it's like tucked in this really yeah. cool little complex. Um, but when you were like, "Let's meet at Riverside," I kind of had like a goosebumpy <laughs> hair up because I, I was like, "Oh, great! We get to check off yeah. one of the stars that hasn't actually been visited yet, cool. and it's exceeded." I mean, it's it's kind of a, the best. It's really yeah. special. We yeah. Had like the our episode sixteen was like a review of season one favorite places that people go, and to me this location um, kind of bleeds some of our favorite spots together. Mm-hmm. One of which is like a Zillicoa yeah, on the water say. vibe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I, this is so special. This is really cool. Yeah, so, you can come. You can work outside. Actually, when Zillicoa opened, I gave them a big stack of free drip coffee just at Riverside cards, and mm-hmm. every the first like four hundred beers they sold, everyone got one of those cards. Because I I really love when there when there's kind of a new compass direction that businesses flow to. Mm-hmm. That there are these like anchor godparents of like businesses that everyone really understands that these businesses are like friends and have aligned values and like 
are the the godparents of watching to make sure that like what happens north like fits that. I love that. Um, and Zillicoa, there was like that sweet season where in the summer you could get the entire fire pit by yourself, which like it's far beyond that now you know i mean there there can be 500 people there and you can still feel like you have room Mm -hmm. to breathe um but that's how this place started for like a year was like you could finish a book on a shift and you'd see like five people and then now like we kind of need two baristas on the weekends to 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 not go crazy how how long has this location been we just hit two years in may wow i believe it's it's super cool yeah. yeah. And people don't understand, like, how close to the water you are. Yeah. We're, like, it's... Uh, I'm always like, you can be making a cappuccino and <laughs> throw a rock from the espresso bar and it'll land in the water. Oh, my my four-year-old niece could throw a rock <laughs> and it could land yeah. in the water. Like, yeah. it is super close. Like, I use, I like to say, like, I could throw a vortex, one of those old uh, footballs that would whistle, uh-huh. and hit something. I could throw a vortex across the river. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's Good how arm. close to the river we yeah. are. Um, and it's, uh, it's just like energetically grounding for yeah. me. Well, and the, th- the cool thing is, especially for us, I think, and for a lot of people in Asheville, if you work from home and you work on a computer all day long, like you're itching to get outside, yeah. even if you, it's just going for a walk or whatever. But here I feel like you can come, you can bring a book or you can bring your computer and still be outside. Yeah. And get work done. It's like a happy medium for a lot of people that go stir crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what y'all do? You work from your computer? Yeah. Most of our work is on a computer. And then we get the joy of podcasting, which is not. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, first ever outside podcast. We told you that a little bit ago, but um, couldn't have picked a better location. So, I would love to hear who are, who are you, Emily? Like, so it, it, we're excited to have you for a whole bunch of different reasons, but. Um, I'm excited to kind of pick your brain on some of the marketing things you've done in the past. Yeah. Love the idea of the cards. Want to already jump down that rabbit hole and ask how it fared and what kind of like how many of those ever came back to this location. Yeah. But maybe we start with, uh, I know you just hit like a nine-year milestone. Nine Congratulations. Yeah, yeah which is pretty wild. Yeah, like that's crazy i mean it's not crazy but it's cool Mm -hmm. Uh, we just hit i think a four-month milestone so you know there's (laughs) some perspective and scale but i'd love to hear a little bit about who you are in the tweetable i guess um i'm from norfolk virginia i'm the oldest of five kids um and then i went to vcu uh in richmond for undergrad and studied um spanish and fashion merchandising Um, and then kind of realized in like the final two years that I probably wasn't going to be that happy with myself if I just sold things really well. Mm. (laughs) Um, and wound up working in coffee very fortunately with counterculture even back then, um, to just save up for this massive South America trip. And so I went to Colombia and Chile for three months and then got back and kind of realized, like, I was going to fall right back into the exact same patterns and friend groups and jobs and, like, relive college but just not be in school if I stayed in Richmond. So I had been to Asheville on a camping trip once, and we had, like, such a dreamy time. And so I put the clothes I needed in my Chrysler LeBaron, LeBaron convertible, 
top down uh, cr- cried a lot of the way here. <laughs> oh, no. um, it's dangerous. And the plan was spend one week here and then one week in New Orleans and decide between the two. Mm-hmm. And in like six days, I had gotten hired at what was the Dripolator and found somewhere to live. And I now I'm nine years into that job. And wow. yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely one of one of the many people that are like, I just came. Yeah. yeah. What? I, I knew no one and what? had been here one time. Yeah. So 2010. So, 2010. Yeah. In September, which is a gorgeous time to arrive. Yeah. I'm, I was going to say, like, oof. what made you stay? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was September. it the leap season? No. <laughs> um, I tend to kind of do like a one more year thing with mm-hmm. myself every year, mm-hmm. which is just kind of continued to auto draft. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there's probably a, a time around like year five where I was really, there's, there was a time where I really didn't want to work here anymore and wanted a new industry and kind of spun out on that for a minute. And then there was a time where I really wanted to move to Louisville and I went and spent maybe five nights there, met awesome people, loved the coffee scene, loved the food scene, and then realized it was like 10 hours to the ocean Mm. and I was like I'm already feeling landlocked like why would I do like and that was it really came down to water for me and that's kind of why I stay here is like how the epicness of of the water that I can get to within 45 minutes what water comes to mind in 45 minutes um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna blast my spots. Oh, okay. So, but, but are we <laughs> thinking is so protective but, of their secret hiking spots? and swimming yeah. spots here? I'll just say, are we thinking lakes? Are we thinking rivers? I mean, are we all thinking all of it? Okay. Like just in the last couple of years, I've gotten. I've been like, man, I didn't think lake was up there with, like, with freezing cold river and ocean. Mm. But I think it might be. Yeah. So I I've, I have had very limited lake experience in my life. Rivers, too, for that matter. All the rivers that I grew up near, you wouldn't go, like, people, you know, it's the Hudson. <laughs> like, don't go in that <laughs> yeah, river. Yeah. So it's Dead like bodies. a very different vibe mm-hmm. than the rivers I've met uh, so far in yeah, Asheville. The, the river, I mean, the lakes are cool here. You know they're all man-made. All the lakes? All of North Carolina's lakes are man-made. I did not know that. Which is pretty fascinating. So many of them have, like, lore around them being sunken cities underneath. Ah, damn So whether or not they're cities or just, you know, valleys. But some of them were cities that they congregated and decided to dam up. That's, like, our favorite topic in our friend group is, like, how do you begin to decide an area and how much, like administrative brain power does it take to decide to dam up an area it's like uh, and make sure that like everything is out of it and then say like okay go like that's a crazy undertaking and yeah. every lake you see was made like that all i can think about is there's this one place. isn't that wild that's, that's wild. wild that's wild that's you're, you're building massive massive concrete walls to hold the water in and then someone after meeting for a long time is like, okay, go. <laughs> Start filling it. 
<laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I, I. It doesn't necessarily compute yet. The, and we go to scale. Lake Montana all the time. And like on the off season, they they lower the level of the lake. And I thought I thought they were just saying a phrase to me to throw me off why I can't rent a pontoon boat yet. <laughs> but they really do like open the dam and I guess like maybe irrigate the surrounding area and like the lake drops drastically and you can't put boats because some areas get lower. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Like civil, civil engineering and any kind of engineering is just like way outside of how my brain works. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I I was just picturing there's this one place in Italy and I can't remember the town or whatever it's called. But there's like a picture of this lake and then there's just like the church's steeple coming Ooh. out of it. Have you seen that? No, but I love like that feeling. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'll to send it to you. I, it's kind of bonkers. And that's what I'm like imagining, but I'm sure it's not like that at all. It's just. It's so funny. I had, I had no idea that that was the case in North Carolina. I, we, I went like and visited this camp that the season had ended um, and John, who's friends with Gilly, who was episode four or five or whatever, um, he he told me about a place in South Carolina that I, I think was is a lake, yeah. but he pulled up all these Google images of the city, the city that, that was under was, that was yeah. once underneath it. Um, that is so crazy! I can't wait to do more lake things, Sarah. Yeah. So okay, cool. So yeah. the water kind of kept you here, or being near water and nature, and then proper um, ocean. I hear is South Carolina. Yeah, not far. That's right? not terribly Four far. It's, it's not too bad. <laughs> it's it's far to me. Yeah. It's still it's like you got to kind of stay overnight. Yeah, I mean, stuff. I grew up like a fifteen minute drive from the ocean. Cool. So. Got it. Yeah, that's different. Cool. Yeah. Okay, and then so you started working with High Five mm-hmm. and Dripalator, which or was Drip- the Dripalator, which it's always been Jay and Kim. Got it. Uh, they bought a, a a location that was by the Orange Peel mm-hmm. from Amy, who owns the original Dripalator in Black Mountain. I was gonna say, there they so yeah. we, we just mm-hmm. finally went to the original Dripalator oh, yeah. in Black Mountain. Oh yeah, it's cute, cute, very cute. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's a very nostalgic like the era of couch, the couch era. Coffee shops. Oh yeah, which is a special. Area. And when when I talked to the baristas that were in, I was like, um, I didn't expect so many youths. But she's. They were like, oh yeah, it's actually college had just started, so they're kind of hot uh-huh. for studying uh-huh. right now at the Tripolator. Because um, of the like median age being so much older yeah, in Black Mountain. Yeah. So like you walk around town and it's we're decidedly younger than sure. most people that yeah. we saw. And then you walked into Dripalator and I was like, oh, yeah. wow, 20s. It's probably one of the few spots that's not a bar that you can kind of, in our in that 30 and below yeah. area, like have a hub. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. Anyways, yeah, I was wondering if they were connected. But, okay, so you mm-hmm. started working with High Five. Yeah, so and... so still Dripalator. Then they moved from that location to... 190 Broadway where we still are and we were still drip later for a couple of years I don't quite know how they worked that out I guess it was he was able to purchase the the building with Mm -hmm. the branding and just not be affiliated and then the goal was always to kind of create our own thing and so we worked with um, Atlas uh, branding and and what's cool is like I was in on all of those meetings oh cool um so in terms of that kind of 
um, intellectual ownership and creativity. Like I helped create that new visual for what we were and yeah and all that. And where did you start working with High Five as a barista, and then sort of mm-hmm. developed into this role of, of mm-hmm. brand director? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I moved up to taking over managing Broadway um, when the guy before me moved on, and then well, I asked. I walked over to his house and was like, "Nobody cares about this place as much as I do." After this person leaves, and he was like, "All right, <laughs> ask and you shall receive." <laughs> yeah, um, and then. Then we had a meeting at King Daddy's, R.I.P. King Daddy's in West in West Asheville, and he was like, um, "This silent investor who's involved with us had found this spot on Rankin, and um, and so yeah, Jay kind of took me out to dinner and was like, "Do you want to do this times two with me? And you like we'll move this new like paid time off thing and this kind of new pay structure and." That was probably the most, like, growth. That was, yeah, the the biggest undertaking of, like, my professional career was from scratch being, like, what does it take to go into to do this twice? Yeah. It is, one to two is so massive. Three is, like, okay, we're juggling. Yeah, you've already done it. We've already opened it. Yeah, and, like... We redid the menus, like that whole kind of structure of like the pipes with the wet texture and mm-hmm. the dry texture was like my um, kind of like insomnia dream of like, how do we, I'm super into structuring words and visuals to help people ask better questions. And like that, that to me, it was originally conceived as like a tree that was wet or dry mm-hmm. um, and it kind of turned into this more like hardware oriented thing based on his aesthetic preference but it's it's really rewarding for me when coffee people come in and are like whoa I've never seen it articulated like that yeah. like here's the wet drinks here's the dry drinks here's a visual of how big they are and then there's not that need for the customer to ask someone like can you explain all of these mm-hmm. to me you can like group you can cluster them mm-hmm. you know um so the yeah the rankin the rankin thing was a lot of insomnia but in a good way and how long ago was rankin 5 years cool yeah, yeah. And so what about the name? Where how, how did we get the name High Five? Um, there were a lot of other ones. Um, <laughs> Low he Five. Was, <laughs> he was Just thinking five. of Drover for a while because Broadway used to be like the Drover line. Um, I think it's a cattle. Um, okay. Wow. Like there's a Bill Callahan song about Drovers. Um, but that's where they would like march the cattle through i guess to market mm-hmm. and he really liked that and you know there's that whole cellar door kind of like drover doesn't feel this like positive pretty way it's like kind of a clunky word and the, I, I think that wound up getting ruled out he was also thinking about doing confessional coffee and all the breasters were like we're already carrying all the bullshit of all of everyone's like all the customers and this is going to encourage people to use us as like priests even more and like we do not want this um so that was funny that that got voted down like internally uh and then i think his wife kim the co-owner um 
thought of it like they were on their back porch, like they high-fived about something. That's so and funny. she was like, oh my God, high-five coffee. So, perfect segue. Not exactly a segue, but we, uh, our, uh, what's it called? Like my, my, my catchphrase of sorts at the end of every episode is high-five. Yeah. I go, Sarah, hey babe, good job, high-five. And like we end with a clap and I... uh I sort of said that we I I wouldn't do it until we went to high five and got a high five interview and it worked out it worked to be out. like two weeks <laughs> later. Um, <laughs> like, I'll, I'll hold off. Um, Make it official. But I do love I love there is a really good energy mm-hmm. in a high five. Yeah, that's good to hear. You know, um, I, I it to me it communicates what I want from my coffee. I want my coffee to give me a high five. Like, I want it to give me the energy that I receive when I give a high five to someone. Um, But also the logo is just cool. I mean, Atlas Mm -hmm. is so good at what they do. Yeah. What, what, when you think outside of the name, can you remember back to uh, what you wanted people to feel when they walked in? Like, because you were a part of conceptualizing some of the spaces. Mm -hmm. When, When they saw the logo, when they walked into the space... Um, Jay kind of said things? some really cool stuff. There's this um, f- longtime friend of his who has done all the build out for all three of them, and um, he is a really talented woodworker, and he's just good at like, um, yeah. Jay kind of said something about about Rankin because all of those tables are two by fours, like turned on their side, and then you know glued together and laminated so they're super hefty yeah um and then the hardware there is all like rebar and then like you know your little like purse hooks are like big kind of like Mm -hmm. spigot washers and he and and you know fortunately that space has all this exposed brick and we wound up doing this kind of like copper trim around the bar and then the the menu is all lined in metal and and he like spoke about how he and I are very aligned and like do less things well um and he was like I want you know as you move through this space I want the reflection of like the sturdiness of this furniture to feel like some permanence you know in in what we're and and what we want to be in in the community and in terms of like a lack of kind of flightiness and and whether or not we want to like be here in this space because that stuff is permanent yeah (laughs) it is hefty furniture um and we loved like that standing bar was super important to both of us like when you walk into Rankin Mm -hmm. that that high bar he he and I are both like very protective of no one ever pulling stools up to that because like it's that little kind of more big city experience of standing and drinking your espresso and letting that like pop into that space be a a little Mm -hmm. kind of blip in your day rather than like a nesting thing Mm -hmm. Um, and you can stand from that vantage point and like see the breeze to work and see the whole scope of the coffee shop and then there's the low bar over there where you can engage with the person making your drink Um, but I, I really love those like those height heightened tables that let people stand while they work and cool yeah. and so i have to ask because every time we go and we kind of geek out about it but what about the little zip line for the orders that's his idea um 
it was maybe him and the carpenter halo that mm-hmm. built out all the shops um yeah we used to just walk the tags down and then um we figured out that that actually saves like really crucial time when we're super busy yeah. we actually just thought like maybe a month ago, why don't we have the zip line going the other way for food orders <laughs> on Broadway? Because you have to send tags both ways. We were like, I wonder if there's a geometric way that we can get this <laughs> thing to fling over there. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of, and it creates like a fun, it, one, it like kind of harkens back to that diner era of, yeah. you know, your, your rotating mm-hmm. Twin Peaks, like menu tickets on a clothespin and kids love doing it you know like um tourists are like just <laughs> like kerfuffled what? about it yeah, <laughs> yeah. they like want to take a video of you doing it um yeah it's funny it's a it's a little signature thing it's yeah cool. i mean i think it adds to that environment of like positivity and playfulness absolutely yeah um i'm trying to think to because like the stand up for an espresso thing, um, I had like a little joke in New York. I like my my colleagues knew me for a couple things. One was never missing an opportunity to make a bad like dad pun. joke pun <laughs> thing. Never miss an opportunity. <laughs> the other was uh, about my stance on espresso to go. Oh yeah, and highly contested. Oh no, never, never. I was like. How t- like <laughs> I would always just like play it up uh, way way up as two eleven yeah um and like I love the idea there's a saying about Italy and I can't think of it where it's like they take smaller coffees but they take longer to drink longer them. to drink mm. them and like they are stationary and they never leave with them yeah. and there's something about that that high low of like volume but tempo mm-hmm. um. That means the like, it if you can bring that minute of presence, mm-hmm. that's like a it's a little meditation in the middle of your day. Mm-hmm. Like why leave with the espresso? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, and then to a, to a different point, I, I've had some really good conversations with a with a friend of mine who will often get his espresso to go, and it you know, I think a nice thing about the way that Jay leads High Five is to make sure that as service professionals were never making a decision for the customer mm-hmm. about how they enjoy that product. Um, and you kind of never know whether someone's bringing that to someone right. who made their own cashew milk at home or whether it's that person enjoys the espresso taking on a different taste 10 minutes from now and can't really hand like there's just, especially having been in this community for so long and knowing the backstories of so many regulars, there are always like highly particular things that every person needs that as a service professional, it becomes like super irksome and you, you can't conceive of a situation why they would need it that way. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, you find out that that person just had stomach cancer Mm. and like their, their stomach is way smaller and they can only eat this particular thing over the course of a really long period of time or they are you know can't handle anything with any sort of acid in it so they need you to leave that part out of the drink and you're like oh that ruins the whole flavor balance of the thing that I made and like we have those conversations a lot about reminding newer baristas or being really precious with your craft that like 
you you don't know that person's mm. story and yeah. like let's find a way to perhaps dialogue about like how can I meet your needs or in a non-threatening way be like oh why don't you talk to me about what it is that you are wanting yeah and then maybe wow. we can find a way that you don't have to waste a paper cup or you don't have to you know how can I supplement this drink so it still tastes good and it doesn't affect your health yeah yeah I I just want to give a whole bunch of claps on coaching that and having that as the worldview. Like I do the, you know, espresso to go. It's intended to be a joke. I can understand the million reasons Sarah's informed me that Italians do in fact take it to go sometimes. <laughs> oh yeah, there's, when there's they, like when an office around the corner. Everyone, will, someone will go and yep. get coffee for everyone. And, and so, um, I just I need to echo what you just said as being. A version of that story being one of the most impactful lessons I had ever learned uh, in college. I had a, um, I worked in student life. So I was a RA. I was like a head of this team of RAs for this one building on campus. And um, we, like as, as the leadership group, were effectively quizzed, but it, it had actually happened. And so our director um, was like, we made it very clear that there can be you know, no phones in this last session. Mm. Clearly, there were a lot of people on their phones. Right. How, leaders, would you bridge that? How would you approach that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, only two people actually. I've actually never heard that here. <laughs> <laughs> and only two people actually kind of responded and needed to. The point was made. And they were like, you know, I would go up and I'd say, hey, give me your phone. Um, or like, hey, um, can't you understand that you're being really disrespectful? It's made mm -hmm. very clear mm -hmm. that you're not supposed to have your phone. Um, and Melissa Sanders informed us that the way she would do it is say, hey, is everything okay? Yeah. Is everything okay? Um, yeah, why? What's up? Well, because it was pretty clearly communicated that being on your phones is not okay right mm -hmm. now. And so the fact that you're on your phone makes me concerned for you that maybe something's happening in your life with family or friends. Or is everything okay? Yeah. And the amount of empathy and like uh, egocentrism that needs to, well, empathy that needs to be there, egocentrism that needs to not be there to like see someone ask for something or do something that is wrong by your own, by your own definition yeah. of what the recipe should be. Um, and ask how, like, is everything okay? Or like, how can, to your point, like, what's going on that, how can we best serve you? I yeah. think that is. And that's a hard, uh, it's a hard question to ask without seeming condescending for sure. or passive aggressive or, I mean, I've definitely tried it to less than desirable outcomes. Um, and, and some people just like don't want to engage like that. They're like, I just want it this way. I'm like a highly not private person. So like, it's pretty hard to offend me <laughs> uh, in that way. But, um, but it's really like, I, there's this regular who I noticed, <laughs> I would make him his macchiato in the morning and he would always go get another little small plastic lid, even though he was drinking it for here and he would 
he would take one every day. I was like, what in the world is going on? Like, I'm like, okay, he's got a kid who's doing like a craft project and they figured out that this lid is the right (laughs) size for whatever they're doing. Like, I love kind of creating those stories. And then finally I was like, what, what are you doing with these lids over here? And he was like, oh, the drink gets too cold too fast. So I use the lid on top of it to hold it in. And I was like, I'll just give you two plates from now on. And I've, like, trained the rest of the staff. Like, when you see Fred and he gets his macchiato, he wants a second plate on the top to hold the heat in. Love it. But if I had not asked, asked, it's a lot of plastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And, like, and there's an easier... Yeah, I'm just always fascinated with, like, especially in high-end food culture, there's, like, if it's not your world, it's so, like... Um, intimidating or like shame inducing for that average person to just kind of ask the chef or ask the bartender like why do you do that or what am I supposed to do Mm -hmm. when you serve it to me like this that I'll notice like customers asking each other what to do with the soda water with an espresso and I'm like okay then I can look at that and say there's something about our demeanor that is making it not inviting to ask me that question Hmm. so how do you move past that what what does one i'm also do? 34 What's i couldn't <laughs> have thought this way at 24 yeah it's it fair. just wasn't gonna happen it's fair. <laughs> i mean i wonder if there's something about you know the coffee shop being a place where one does not ask the barista right. to do something whereas like i think you know people go to a bar a they're drinking alcohol so they're just a little bit more loose and whatever and they might you know be more willing to ask the bartender or something for yeah know, depending on a straw i don't know something the elevation of the yeah i feel like the higher concept it gets the harder it is for people, people. yeah and and i would want to to be to purvey places that people are excited to explain what it is they're doing mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah that's that's really very interesting. My, my mind goes back to like some of the higher end restaurants that we ate at in New York and the level of service that they would provide. And, and we would be like always like, well, I, that's oh, like a great. special, like, I always geek out. I'm, I'm 100% going to ask the question. Like right. that's how I'm wired to your not being offended by someone being like, I have, I'm not going to tell you or, right. or whatever the answer yeah. might be. I am 100. What's with the soda water? Like why, why is that here? Right. Or like, what's this cup looks funny. what's going why is it in this but i think i think that that uh, like um comes so so full circle around to like have you or i lived lives where people are affirming our questions do we have trauma around not knowing the answer like how comfortable are we moving through the world you know and i'm like I'm probably overly confident, but I find things go better for me if I push push towards not being scared and interacting. Mm-hmm. But I have I've not experienced like um, condescension or abuse or um, being gated out of spaces the way that many people have. That's such a astute human like empathetic thing yeah that is crazy meaningful 
as a thought. Like I, my mind doesn't go there. It wants to. Like my mind wants to be the mind that thinks about what I just said and has that like as a response or as an add-on. But I, I feel like the last ten minutes have been hugely important in my life. Mm-hmm. As like I'm thirty, I couldn't have done this at twenty. Yeah. But there's still so much left to unpack and learn. Um, and it seems like the service industry is a great way to learn about humans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, certainly. For sure. I mean, I think the, the, when you take care of people's needs, regardless of what they do for a living, depending on the dignity you bring to that thing, like you can, you can jump into another industry that you don't have experience in based on how well you conduct yourself in that kind of public space. Yeah. That's my feeling about like what the service industry allows you to do like laterally or upward can, can really like, I would, if I needed to hire someone to be the face of my business, I would certainly pick someone that always takes really good care of me at a cafe. Cause I can tell if someone's bright or not, you know? Mm. And it doesn't matter like what your resume looks like if you have constant experience with like the integrity of someone's follow through. Yeah. That just made me kind of question the idea of could the service industry is so big in Asheville and so important here because of tourism and there's so many restaurants and everything. How do you think that that impacts the sense of community that Asheville has or is building? Um the f- the fact that everyone's always watching <laughs> I, well i mean yeah maybe um but my mind just thinks of there's a lot of people living in Asheville that mm-hmm. work at restaurants mm-hmm. or cafes and so they, they're in the service industry and so to your point of having to be caring about mm-hmm. other people and, and think about other people's needs do you think that that has oh, impacted the way Asheville's community is built yeah i've never thought about that um, yeah, I think, I think that's a, that's a logical conclusion that like, I'm always, we had a really, um, sweet, dear, older, older, um, customer who lived above High Five Broadway, who kind of was this like surrogate grandfather figure for all of us. And, um, when he passed away, like we kind of posted this tribute about him and over easy was his breakfast spot and so like all the employees there kind Mm -hmm. of echoed their stories about him and like I regularly see our regulars that have their certain little quirks when I go out to eat and I'm like oh my god everyone knows Carol like Carol functions in this way for many people in Asheville you know and like whenever I personally like make a shout out about a person especially like not about a peer but about someone who is in a different generation than me I'm so startled like how many of my friends also know that person Mm. from food and bev yeah so yeah I think I think there is a a more um interconnectedness that happens because most the large percentage of us are dealing with the public rather than like in an office building right yeah. 
Yeah. Or you're behind the screen or you're only interacting with a certain level of people. Whereas, like yeah. you said, the end, I mean, it's like the other yeah. day when Gilly was like my friend and I was like, oh, doesn't he work for the city? Like, if, right. if you don't yeah. work at a restaurant, I don't understand what you do <laughs> yeah. in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I, I So I had a question to your point on, you know, hiring a, a service employee. I think that that was a very uh, astute point and I, I completely agree i think that uh, it should all be mandatory at around like 16 to 18 that humans get experience working in service it has been wildly impactful i have a very kind of tight window relative to you and a lot of people in Asheville of like proper service industry experience um but i'm wondering uh to your point about the ability to do almost anything after you've worked in service um what changes have you experienced as a um i guess through your role and having it evolve with the multiple locations and with the team growing um and how i guess how did how have you learned what you needed to learn to step into each of those phases of the of the role mm, i mean some of it is trial and error you know, um, we're like, yeah, there's, there's always kind of new long-term goals for my position. And some of that is like setting up a shoppable website, which I don't know how to do, but a lot of these like small business tools and platforms are, you know, easier than ever to navigate. Um, Yeah, I mean, I t- as a person, I tend to kind of, like, um, kind of tunnel inwards when, like, when g- growth happens, um, just because I'm always trying to make sure we don't lose something in that growth, um, and at least on the, a lot of what I do is, like, create our merchandise, um, and that that doesn't really scare me in terms of people being able to access that when they don't live here. Um, but the, it's always really important to me that I still work shifts or that I still feel like a part of the day to day, like nitty gritty thing that we do. And it doesn't just become a commodity, I guess. Like I was talking to my therapist about that being the next thing on my plate is creating this like shoppable component of our online presence. And he is in his sixties and he was like laughing about how kind of preposterous it was to him in, in this generation that you would, that you would, that there would be a market for like branded goods. And I like very like knee jerk was like, yeah, like I helped create a thing that people want a piece of. Like, I'm not surprised by this. And he was like, well, used to be you could just be a Red Sox fan. And now, like, you're not really a Red Sox fan if you have, like, if you don't have the hat and the jersey and the this and that. And it's like, I want to make sure that it's not from that lens at all. Like, I will always know who the diehard high five customers are. And they might not own a shirt. That really does not matter. Um but if they want a shirt, I want to make a cool one. Yeah. Like that's the, I guess that's the distinction for me. Um, is I, making sure there's never 
a Pokemon gotta collect them all <laughs> sort of vibe coming from the verbiage that I use. Um, and that's the fascinating, like, things fly off the shelves on Rankin because people are passing through and, like, I'm the same way on vacation. Like, I store up money to be able to buy those kind of frivolous souvenirs mm -hmm. and then on Broadway people are like oh, I've been eyeing this for a couple of years and one day I'd really like to buy it so you're like you're dealing with two completely different like channels of justification to purchase something that's so cool and so true uh I I've bought I all of my Asheville stuff I purchased while I was visiting right and like it's and like wearing I bought, the shirt to the stuff. show right <laughs> yes it's true. Wow, that's a really good point. And if, I love, yeah, totally. If I moved away, I would probably go buy a shirt of all the places places I love here, so that I could be like, "Oh shit, you know Golden Pineapple, you know Harvest Records, like that's awesome." But yeah, you're you're just like I I try and make sure that I'm designing things that a certain demographic that's coming through will want, and then the heart projects for me are are like the pieces that you save up for as a local that you're like really proud to own. Love that. Jamie Clayton's got a high five cup. I think I said that. Our buddy. Uh, the who, travel mug. The travel mug. Mm -hmm. So that he, every time he stops in, grabs his coffee and goes, he's as diehard of a high five guy, but he's from Nashville with an N. Which is awesome. So cool. Yeah. He gets off of a highway to come into town yeah. to get your coffee. And continue driving. I, I, um, at our like 10 year anniversary made this speech about how, like, I think I learned about scales through this job because there's so much of so much weighing in coffee, weighing your yeah. dose, weighing your out. And I think I probably learned that concept of like tearing something out through high five. And that was kind of like the gist of my speech was like, this place for so many people is a tear it's a setback to zero and the the people i guess that i just referenced that don't own any merch are the people that come back there and they actually don't want anything they don't aren't even really there to purchase anything they're there to be like okay what am i going to do next and that's like those that's really the root of like what yj is in this industry love that Dang. Were you like this about coffee 10 years ago? Or I guess no. about the community of coffee? Um, I missed it in South America. I knew I wanted to work in coffee again because it was a, a, a pretty special thing to like the camaraderie of being a barista and like kind of zenning out and making drinks was something I really loved in Richmond and I wanted to do it again. But I didn't in, like... I didn't know anything about how to make good coffee from that first job. You know, you kind of have to like break all your old bad habits and learn it again. And it, it's like such a fast paced industry that if I took three years off, like it would be kind of, I couldn't just like jump back in and be like, Oh yeah, I know how to do it. Cause every couple of years it's like, Oh, we're kind of approaching extraction from this way. And it's like, Oh, well I came up in the industry without mechanized grinders. So we were doing it based on like seconds in our head, like it's roughly three and a half seconds of dosing. We were not weighing it in. We were not weighing it out. Now, like our newest espresso machine, like weighs the, the espresso 
wait out on a digital readout. That's like, crazy. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that is constantly evolving. Yeah, and I've noticed that the uh, Rankin location, the temperature, is it the temperature numbers that you guys are constantly, constantly. writing down? Oh, no, that's the um, grind. Grind numbers, mm-hmm. which is changes, right, depending on... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's even in a fairly recent addition to, like, our coffee program is adjusting adjusting the grind for like every new coffee that comes in so that Mm -hmm. it tastes best on that batch brewer yeah yeah um but yeah it's like it's a rapidly evolving set of um lenses through which to look at a product yeah i love it i have a question and then i would love to kind of dive into um coffee as a community in Asheville. Mm -hmm. but before we do that um how if you're making coffee at home, how do you make your coffee at home? I probably do a French press. Hmm. Yeah, which is not because that's not like a nerdy. it seems like that's the the of the paint brushes. Mm-hmm. That's a thick paintbrush. Yeah, right. That's it's a like very good way to say you know that. not that's a fat sharpie. You're not going nuance. Yeah, in a, in a French press. I um like to say that like baristas are often often like the cobbler's children hmm. of coffee, where like. We know that the freshest way or the most, you know, elevated way to drink your coffee is blank. But if there's, like, free one-month-old coffee somewhere, <laughs> we're like, I don't have any coffee at home. Give me that. Because <laughs> it's like when you yeah. get when you get the really good stuff at work, like, you don't want to think in that lens when you're at home. That's there funny. are certainly plenty of people on staff that are still tweaking their home recipe. Like, like tearing out. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, weights. I still use a scale. You'll scale um, it. Yeah, and I'll do like I'll do like a big batch Chemex if I'm like having a People. brunch or something like that. I don't really enjoy making coffee at home. It's a it's a like a friend of mine in Richmond used to say like I only, I go to the coffee shop to be like what's everyone doing and what are they talking about and what are they wearing and and that's what I'm. I mean that I, I think I added the what are they wearing part. Well, but, I, it's fair. <laughs> yeah. But I'm I that's just me mm. wanting to be like, what's what's going on today? Yeah. You know, and yeah. also I would like an espresso. But like I'm also I could go a week without coffee for for whatever reason it doesn't it's not oh. that addictive for me. How many how many servings is a loose way to describe it? But like how many grams of caffeine do you think you're having or milligrams or whatever it is? Um, if you start, if you start the day on bar, so you're like dialing in three espressos, you're having a lot of sips of espresso. So, I mean, I think you could, you could interview a lot of baristas and say like, what is the worst feeling about coffee as a profession? And like over caffeination is an awful feeling. Uh, yeah, I, I've had such bad, what I identify as caffeine withdrawals that I refuse to have more than two servings of coffee in any given day mm. ever. But I also have a difficulty of going less than one. Like, yeah. I my first cup of coffee or, like, coffee today, I think I had at 11, and I was starting to be like, ooh, man, what's wrong with me? Oh, my God, I haven't had coffee yet. <laughs> that might be it. Are you – do you need it? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> like, first thing in the morning, like, Tony knows, like, he doesn't talk to me until I've had, like, our first <laughs> cup of It's not entirely true, but I will go. Yeah. If I'm up first, I will go and immediately just turn yeah. on our little kettle. And mm-hmm. then also in the afternoon, like, if we don't stop for coffee. If I if I have only had one coffee in the morning and we don't stop for coffee in the afternoon, usually on, like, one or two after lunch. Yeah. I'm, like. You feel. I, and it's, is it a, honestly. Is it, like, a headache or a dullness? It's, like, it's just a tiredness. I don't think I get, like, as physically ill as you do. But it's also headache. mental. Headache, it's, like, yeah. habit, too. Yeah. Like, I just enjoy the ritual. And I, you know, what you were saying is, like, I go to the coffee shop to, you know, see what other people are doing and get out of the house yeah that's kind of the biggest thing i think for us because we could buy an espresso machine right but we don't because we like going out and yeah coffee. i that's just like so not appealing to me yeah to be able to do that at home because it's i'm constantly fascinated with how many steps and how much mess are involved in a space that's designed to make that <laughs> god this takes a long time to yeah. do this well yeah. And then there's like nine to ten things that need to be cleaned up after I do it. Yeah. I would I would rather go to a place where Yeah. That's I mean, my I I think I'm pretty much gonna be done with my brewing. What I could do is dial in for weight now, but like our aeropress, when you talk about like tidiness and cleanliness, <laughs> yeah. there's it's nothing like... better. You're literally syringing the coffee into the cup mm-hmm. and then you're syringing the beans <laughs> out of the little tube mm-hmm. right into the trash right no mess yeah it's amazing it's my favorite thing yeah um but okay so that was home brewing technique strategy i think i think the scale maybe 2020 we start like scaling out our servings or something Scale's pretty helpful yeah. is it helpful and then uh helpful. you also grinder? pay well, oh, i yeah, think grinder. Bur, bur grinder 2020 grinder first then scale cool so we're um we didn't do a... Do you just have, like, the blade? Yeah. Just, like, a standard little yeah, coffee grinder. It'll help, it'll help For consistency. Because mm-hmm. you're... With the blade, it's, like... It's com- it's super irregular, the shapes that it's yeah. hitting it into. It's probably, like, re-grinding a lot of stuff that it's... Some stuff gets really, really fine. Yeah. Some's so a little chunky. So because of that, like, you learn sometimes later in your like coffee career that it's possible to have both an over and under extracted cup of coffee because you're kind of brewing on top of like espresso size and french press size because it can't hit those like um particulates that are underneath the blade right yeah so and then just for people keeping score at home um that's like a you dump the coffee into a thing, and then there's just blades in there. Think like a blender, mm-hmm. and it just bounces around mm-hmm. until everything gets to, cl- you know, by your eye, close to uniform. Right. But it's almost impossible. And then a burr grinder, the beans, this is what you see in all the good coffee shops. The beans start in place A, move through a grinder, right. and then finish in point B. And mm-hmm. that's typically in some sort of either the espresso handle, ladle, ice cream scooper thing. Or portafilter, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or uh, or in your cup or whatever, right? Um, so burr grinder, yeah, it's traveling with gravity through um, the same way that flour or like cornmeal or any of those things are milled in the sense that they're they're um, being passed through like two um, 
like discs that you can adjust the space between the disc to adjust the size of the particulate. And every, you know, the idea is that every particulate on the outside, on the finished side, is going to be the uniform. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. um, Bird Grinder's been on our list for a while. I think we're going to use some wedding money to pick up uh, a Bird Grinder. I think you can get it for like $110. It's not too, too bad. Cool. I'm into that. I think it's worth it. I mean, the amount of coffee that we drink at home. Every day. Every day. day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So community, I mean, you've lived here nine nine years? Nine years, yeah. What kinds of things have you seen change about Asheville? Um, There's a lot more super solid specialty coffee, for sure, and more opening every day. Um, I think Owl is probably, like, my day off spot. Um, there was definitely never like an incredible bakery like that until they opened. So to have like a lovely hand laminated pastry with great ingredients and also a really nice espresso, um, I think they're doing an awesome job. Um, and they have a really, they, they've done a really good job of, of hiring a, a diverse staff, um, cause beyond Asheville being very white, like specialty coffee tends to be very white. Um, and owl has a really awesome, um, approach to hiring and it doesn't, it doesn't feel as homogenous as, as other spaces. So I'm always impressed by what they're doing. Um, trade and lore is really awesome. Um, Sarah's doing a great job over there. Um, my boyfriend used to be the like closing manager over there and kind of um, started their like natural wine alcohol program um, of doing like a small curated like harder to find rotation of either like draft wine or um, a bottled selection and some like Fontaflora stuff that you can't get everywhere. Um, the alcohol plus coffee thing is like a long tried rarely successful combo mm-hmm. um to to i mean i think waterbird does a really nice job but they also have like a full liquor program so it is an actual cocktail bar um but i i like that trade and lore feels like a, a really logical nighttime space yeah well, and it's got a great location for that as well because mm. it's so close to so many restaurants and things. So yeah, I imagine they get a lot of people from that. Too. I've never considered it as a night spot. Yeah, they do yeah. like beer and wine. really nice wine. Like I've I've friends that are um, pretty nerdy about wine and like will go there for their like home drinking needs because they have good prices and like a a cool little curated selection. How cool is that? <laughs> that's uh, I love that I, I, yeah. I mean I knew that they had wine I knew they had beer yeah but um I've never been like oh Sarah we should go to trade and lore for a drink that's tonight true. yeah whereas like um and yeah I, you can do like an espresso and like a glass of like biodynamic rosé <laughs> and like sit by the window and I love it yeah cool um so what I've noticed, and Sarah and I have been in town for a particularly short amount of time, um, but it seems, I mean, so we're, we're coming off the heels of, like, Chow Chow, mm-hmm. which I would never have guessed was its first year. It seemed, yeah. it seemed 
way further along than a first year project, but it, there seems to be a a tendency towards uh, cooperation, and I'm 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 from the outside looking mm-hmm. in, and we know that there's a coffee expo coming up, yeah, and we had you know two seconds of of a pre meeting mm-hmm. to see you all there, so like. How does that happen? Why does that happen? Does that happen in every city, or do you think it's somehow special in Asheville, the amount that people are willing to work together on projects like a coffee expo? Um, well, I think I'm always blown away. I think this is the fourth or fifth year that um, it's being held, and I'm I'm always blown away by how many people come in from like South Carolina and rural parts of North Carolina and like across state lines just to come like walk the street fair um and check it out which is a good omen for like the industry being more open and accessible and interesting to uh people as um an activity um I think now that Abby is running the expo she's taking more pages out of um I think it's Charlotte that hosts an event called Poor that's a bigger like this is the first year being it being ticketed which kind of allows you um allows us to do some more elevated stuff um have more like panel discussions and presentations that would get a little lost in like a free street fair environment um and then Matt McDaniel of Cooperative Coffee is doing a like triangulation uh competition which is where you brew um you have three set like cups of coffee and then you're trying all three next to each other and you're identifying which one is the oddball out. And then you're doing that. Um, I think it's four sets of three. So that was kind of what that meeting was about was like the electricity and time involved in brewing like 12 half batches of coffee in order to set up a competition of that. So it's like really specific palette based games yeah um i helped put a a panel of judges together for a like an iced sigbev coffee cocktail competition like i think we're doing no alcohol but it's kind of like our barista's choice program um so just like moving beyond just the latte art sort of thing as a uh community game participation event and making it a broader like anyone could win at a triangulation because it's really about just tasting um and and noticing like mouthfeel and like acidity in a cup and being like okay this these two feel the same this one feels different um are they like this the same exact it's like coffee or like this growing origin Um, yeah, I think, I think he's doing different roasters Mm -hmm. with like same growing region. So it's like really tough. It's not, it's not like it's like two different roast levels or two different processing Mm -hmm. methods. It's Mm -hmm. like just here's a, here's a coffee from this part of Guatemala. Here's a coffee from that. And they're roasted by two different Mm -hmm. companies, which is, that's, yeah, it's actually very hard for me. That's not my forte. I know that I would have a zero, I would have a zero, I would get, one would be lucky and I'd get that one right. right. And then the other three would be a hundred percent wrong yeah but it's really like um vital stuff for people going into roasting and you know getting into the um the profile roasting and and 
figuring out right. where you've hit the sweetest point in the roasting process. Mm. I mean, I think that would be valuable for anyone that drinks coffee. Like, Certainly. Just, I mean, to what nuance, I don't know. But the the idea of understanding, okay, do I like dark roast, medium roast, or light roast? Like, I think a lot of people get those confused mm. because they think dark roast is going to be really strong and, like, right. really high in caffeine. It's just not true. Right. What kind of origins do I like? And it's similar to wine and other beverages that can be really hard for people to describe. Yeah. You know, people say, oh, this wine is really dry when really they mean it's acidic or something like that. Right. So it's um, – Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's kind of, like, I'm leading this little, like – discussion at the expo between Matt McDaniel um who's doing the triangulation and just started a roasting company um and Tyler Kay who's one of the owners of Plebe Mm -hmm. um and it's called it's all about the fruit Mm. and so it's kind of letting me being the facilitator of letting them find the commonalities and differences in growing regions growing practices and then processing methods of wine and coffee because there's a lot of, of, of things that can be interchangeable yeah. and yeah. probably a lot of similar experiments going on right. in, in those worlds. Very cool. Yeah. So, I mean, if someone obviously going to the Asheville Coffee Expo could help someone learn maybe more about coffee. But what other things would you recommend if someone was wanting to learn more about understanding what kind of coffee they like or how to describe mm-hmm. it or... Um, our roaster at High Five Counterculture, who we've been with the whole time, so it's probably coming up on like 13 years, um, they have a training center right there on, um, Broadway by, um, across from the Masonic Temple. Mm -hmm. They're about to, to move, but they're still there for a little bit. And, um, they do open public cuppings or tastings, um, every Friday at 10 a.m., which is a really good way to taste a bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. that that they're roasting right then and they're and they're more like playful and inventive lately too like brew method contrast or um iced coffee or what does decaf taste like in these different roast levels or so that's always free every friday that's really good to know for Asheville. Mm -hmm. thank you Mm -hmm. um do, do you read uh like coffee books or trade magazine i don't know what coffee like a, um like a coffee table coffee book they're out there they, there's, that must quite, exist. there's quite a few out there. <laughs> um i i tend to do a lot of like what i call coffee tourism which is like try and get to know a city based on maybe like walking between the best spots um and just kind of contrasting them i started a kind of an incentive program for high five employees of like, we'll give you 25 bucks if you go to another city. And I made like a review of shops, mm. um, based on like machine cleanliness and, um, technical, um, you know, delivery of the drinks. And then more kind of like vibe based questions, like what percentage of people in here are on their laptop? Like, would you have an intimate conversation in here? Does it feel, you know, too quiet or does Mm -hmm. it feel, then a lot of it was like about vibe of the employee. Like, do these people feel like they want to work here? Did you feel rushed in ordering? That's like one of my pet peeves. Um, And then like, there's like bonus questions of like, if you get on their Instagram, does the place look like you would think it would look based on what they're, 
giving you on the screen. I would love to see your survey question because we put together a, a tiny little survey yeah. of like how we think about the coffee shops in Asheville so far as like the place that we go to, A, for caffeine, but B, for like uh, remote working loosely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I loved hearing the way you think about a, a cafe, um, coffee shop, whatever whatever language um because i think it speaks to the parts that make high five special to us are what shows up and i think it's like if you spot it you got it if you're looking for it if you're met you know you measure what matters and you're clearly measuring in other places the things Mm -hmm. that matter to high five and it comes through oh that's interesting i've not ever heard that yeah so if you spot it you got it well, yeah, so that's like a, I I use that, but to me, I spotted it, you got it. Like, when I see something that someone's doing that aggravates me, mm-hmm. it's uh, my own yeah, inability, yeah. you know, to Feel say, like, I, I do that. Or, yeah. yeah, like, someone's talk, talking loud in a public place. I'm the loudest fucking talker in a public place. <laughs> like, you know, and so, like, if that guy's making me upset about how loud he's yeah. talking, it's me being nervous about the fact that I do the same thing. Totally. Um, and so the things that you l- look for, when you go into yeah. a cafe are probably the things that you're, you know, afraid of not being welcoming when people walk in. You're afraid of rushing someone through the ordering process and leaving a bad taste before the coffee even shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, it's it's interesting to see how, hear how you think about cafes. And I loved what I heard you describe. Thanks. So the Coffee Expo. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we're going to miss, but we're going to try and send as honeymoon. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But um, we're going to try and send people to it. But, like, it's happening at Plebe? It's happening in and around Plebe. Um, There's a free street fair portion of it still in that um, foundy area by Summit. Um, And then the ticketed portion is I think primarily inside of plea, but then the conversations are happening outside around it. I think it's just 14, which is a nice under 15 price point. Um, And you get unlimited tastes of all the things that we're pouring. High five as well as summit are at a little um, sponsored um, like single group head espresso station all day. So we'll be doing what, what high five usually does is just kind of small versions of like our barista's choice. So myself and then um, Nicola, who's our coffee director that we kind of always do these events together. So we've kind of got it like dialed in at this point of how to like do something that's kind of, fruity and herbaceous and then something that's a little more like round and creamy and we'll like do a couple things and fling through it'll be interesting to see because it's never it's never been inside and I think yeah I think it's a little bit more um less um kind of sawed off shotgun consumer facing Mm -hmm. and a little more like a intentional both industry and interested consumer facing um, rather than just kind of like, bah, here's a taste of everything um, without time or, um, you know, planning to kind of like give a background on why you're tasting this thing or something like that. So I'm excited to see, to see what it's like in that space. 
And Plebe is a really interesting, like, I don't know if you guys know about their, an urban winery, like they're purchasing uh, grapes and actually fermenting them there. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about this discussion because Tyler and Matt are both very um, inclusive beverage profes- professionals that are like really stoked to teach people yeah. and learn themselves. So like the two of them together should be really cool. Yeah, so to your point about, say, I go to cafes that listen, or to see what other people are wearing was the one that you were like, maybe that's not the case. I go and I can't not listen to other conversations. Yeah. I We once um, at Liberty Street Cafe sat next to Matt and he had like a friend in town. I, 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 oh, Matt's a loud talker. You know, like he had a friend, <laughs> he had a friend in town. He knows and, it. you know, I was like listening to this story about, oh, you know, starting his own roaster and doing his thing. And he, the other guy, I think, must have a, his own coffee shop. And so when we met uh, Abby, she's like, and then Matt from Cooperative, she's like, you probably haven't heard of that yet. Like, it's just launching. And I was like, oh, I, I know about Cooperative. Yeah. Like, I actually <laughs> know a lot about it. That's we sat funny. next to him at a cafe. Yeah. Um, but it seems like, I, to your point on... Um, there are certain types of people in industries like uh, wine, and I know less about coffee, and I know very little about wine, but uh, like wine and coffee and beer that are really good communicators to the common man about yeah. like what's going on here yeah, yeah. and why you can and should be excited and can connect it to um, I don't know, some other place that you may be more uh, comfortable with for metaphor and for allegory or whatever. I think... He seems like one of those types mm-hmm. of people. Yeah, I'm excited for the uh, like the slang component of this panel, just because they're both very like slang people, and I just think it'll be a it, it'll be a fun like conversational, uh, a lot of of riffing from both of them because they they both kind of create their own vocabulary and kind of are very like tangential thinkers like mm-hmm. I am. Um, I gave them a list of some things that I will probably ask, but I'm going to probably not check in with them until it happens so that we can have something actually like organic happen. Like this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, But that, yeah, that kind of like my favorite event that I've ever put on was called the metaphor of taste. And it mm. was like, I had Dobra for tea. We did a coffee thing. Um, some friends from Sour Grapes, a wine distribution company in town, Burial at the very beginning of Burial, and then a couple bartenders from um, MG Road. This is probably five years ago, like, but we did um, capped it at a certain amount of people there, and then all of those different beverage industries gave out like a small sample and were told to bring like one vocab word. Um, from their industry and then bring a sample that articulates like that word. Wow. Um, and that's like my favorite thing is that they're in the beverage world. There is a analog for that, that phenomenon or that taste or that mouthfeel and like all of these, you know, beverage categories. That sounds so cool. It was really cool. I brought, cause because of like my fashion background, like I brought in, velvet silk and satin and then we talked about like how yeah they're all soft and they're all like malleable but like how does how does something like sit in your mouth more like silk with this kind of interesting fuzzy wiry thing 
or velvet where it's like half and half and it's like thick or satin where it's super slick you know like these are actually really different fabrics so in that same way you can get a little more specific about taste love that and that's like going back to the idea of understanding what words to use to describe what you're tasting and actually taking the time to like sit and let it you know mellow in your mouth a little bit mm-hmm. to, and understand it i yeah. so i just listened to a podcast um uh pete holmes had on oh, yeah. i so yeah, i love a, pete, yeah so you made it weird but he had on uh, who is the guy from like Get Him to the Greek, Forgetting Sarah Marshall? He's a British comedian actor. Oh, Russell. Russell. B- Russell. Brand. Brand. Yeah, totally. All right, so, Forgetting uh, Sarah Marshall is like top the, three comedies ever. <laughs> so, so Pete Holmes, who is particular, particularly um, loquacious, and <laughs> then uh, and then Russell Brand, who has its own vibe, but like they were so on each other's wavelength, but energetic i loved it but they had a moment where they they talked about the idea that our experience with life is limited to the words we have to describe it oh totally and i find that part of the part of the exclusivity of beer wine coffee for some people is like just the words Mm -hmm. like i don't know how to describe what i like i so like chocolate, yeah. I can you can say chocolate because if it tastes like chocolate, that's success. But like I wouldn't. When you said like silk, velvet, and satin, I was like, holy moly! I don't know if my tongue knows it. I definitely don't know how to communicate silk, velvet, and satin in coffee or in wine or in whatever. But um, it makes me want to know what those words are and have someone like shepherd me through the experience so that I can begin to even understand what my own palate likes or appreciates. Yeah. I mean, and I can't necessarily like, I do, I think it's really helpful when you're talking about like maybe cupping or like triangulation, you could probably notice like satiny versus velvety. And in, in my experience, like an Ethiopian, like a washed Ethiopian that's really tropical could be like really like slick, like satin, whereas like a blend that's roasted a little darker could be velvety because it's going to have a little more body and thickness. Um, but I, yeah, I agree with you in terms of like knowing how to order a cocktail that I'm going to be happy with. There's It's such a massive world of spirits that... Um, it, it takes an environment where someone is willing to kind of give you that taste sample to kind of be like, oh, okay, how's this going to play with this other flavor? And, um, someone to ask the right questions too, right? Like we go into a wine shop and sometimes we don't know, we kind of know what we want, but it's really helpful when there's someone there that can ask you well, what do you think about this? And, mm-hmm. you know, are you looking for this or that? And, you know, that's really helpful. I and mean, that's why I think a barista could also come into play is telling you, okay, you're probably not going to like this if you don't like fruit flavors, right. but you will like this if you like chocolate. I don't know. Yeah. 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 What kind of coffee do you like drinking? Um, You know, like an Ethiopia is a pretty special like that's a crowd pleaser for a reason, you know. Um, 
I do love those kind of like lemon melon. Um, my favorite might be this Papua New Guinea that Counterculture does. There's a couple. Um, Baroita is one that's been around for a long time, and it tastes very specifically like Campbell's Alphabet Soup. It's like really that. It's like stewed carrot and tomato. I love Kenya's are my my favorite like origin, but that coffee kind of hits that like. Kenyas tend to have this like steak blood thing, this like iron um, component. But yeah, I mean it's it's fun to have those on like as our drip coffee one day, and then have then like right before someone takes a sip, be like Campbell's tomato soup, and they're like, "Damn it, that is what it tastes like." And it's you know that's always like cool to redefine how people think of coffee, or to kind of surprise them into taking a sip before they put cream in it um because we try and like each morning take a sip of the two options we have and try them with cream and figure out the one that like we would probably recommend to go with cream some of them just you maybe the body is so thin that it's not gonna it's not gonna translate as coffee once you add something to it interesting cool yeah. I want to go back for a moment. This might be pivoting <laughs> to the opposite direction of where we were just were. But I was thinking about some of the survey questions that you mm-hmm. challenged the employees to go out and, and, you know, rate other coffee bars. What kinds of challenges have you guys experienced over the years? Like what, like if you were thinking of milestones for mm-hmm. high five and your experience there, um, you know, what kind of steps have you guys taken to make big changes or improvements? I mean, when I started, we were still in like the age of like Monin syrups and we were still doing white sugar. Like I remember those meetings where it was like, all right, no more white sugar in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then making our own, there's, you know, people in the history of high five um, that have maybe worked in like chocolate shops that like know a lot about making their own chocolate sauce mm-hmm. and like now we actually work with french broad chocolate mm-hmm. for our like mocha sauce and we make that from scratch and um i always think it's super fascinating that we used to we used to be able to make our vanilla like from vanilla beans mm-hmm. and then that like commodity has become like insanely expensive mm-hmm. i don't know if you you bake a little bit, right? I don't know if you yeah, have tried to purchase a vanilla bean. I know that bean. there is like a Premium. certain scarcity to vanilla beans yeah. and how difficult they are to yeah. extract. Yeah. I really wanted to do another event where I was going to – a lot of my like favorite vendor contacts had like since moved on, but there was like a season when I was like really the one doing all the ordering where I loved like all my people. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's what's – that's like the one saving grace of managing is like – talking to someone who represents a different company and that'd be like like I would call to order vanilla beans and they'd be like ah the harvest in Tahiti was really bad this year so most Mm -hmm. of our office is in Madagascar right now yeah and I would be like well that's an awesome problem and we would have these like long conversations about um vanilla was grown in a lot of places that coffee was like we're dealing with either Papua New Guinea Indonesia 
um, Tahiti or Madagascar. Mm-hmm. And one by one, offerings were taken off the table. And then all of a sudden, my pound was going to be like $300. And I was like, all right, we have to find a new... Like, we still go through... We still use vanilla bean, but it's like a paste that's mm-hmm. extracted. Um, and, like, there were customers that were, like, regular vanilla latte drinkers that were, like, something changed. And it was just like, yeah, we got priced out of that, like, crop. Yeah. So that's going to happen to everything. Yeah. So, like, let's talk about that and, and like, the awareness of where vanilla comes from and the labor and the drought and the, yeah. you know. Yeah. Which is crazy because it's also, I mean also very much connected to coffee as well and the effort that it takes to yeah i don't know why just the the vanilla (laughs) scarcity was like endlessly fascinating yeah yeah because i i still will be like they there will probably never be a time where we can return to that we would have to charge like 250 a flavor shot or something right because we were using like 15 beans a batch and like you're talking about $5 a bean or like, you know, just crazy. And so then like explaining that to new baristas where it's like, this is actually the best vanilla you can get your hands on and it's really expensive. Mm -hmm. So like learning how to batch things out so that it only touches one container and you don't lose a drop of it. And like, you know, food cost stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. (laughs) Whoa. Um, I would love, I mean, we're in almost speed round territory, and we say speed round, it's almost a joke at this point because it's not fast. Um, But it's just, it's a couple questions that are primarily focused on Asheville and your experience with Asheville and, like, favorites, et cetera. Simple stuff. But um, if you had friends coming in from out of town, what kind of things would you tell them to do? Hikes, restaurants? bars, coffee places. Yeah, I would do, I mean, I do really love that East Fork list. That's a really good list. It's a solid list. Yeah. Um, It's a nice kind of like an an, uh, activity for each kind of part of the day. Um, I'm kind of in this space where like I've whittled down the places that I go to to like a very small amount of places that are more about like value of food like nine mile makes a great salad incredible it's what I would make at home I don't want to sear my own tuna in the afternoon after work it's always like it's just always the salad I want um I go to um oyster house for they have oyster shooters just just like a shot glass with a big oyster and horseradish and lemon and cocktail sauce like i could eat a whole meal of those that's right on on haywood and west yeah Yeah. oh wow their their fish and chips is amazing it's like a huge huge portion um Uh, it's great thank you um yeah uh i i'm good friends with um Katie who and her partner Donnie that just opened Golden Pineapple on Haywood, which mm-hmm. is like my new favorite cocktail spot. They were at Cucina for many years. Um, Cucina is also always like an amazing experience. Um, what else is really impressive? Sometimes it's good to like leave town and come back and be like, oh yeah, mm. this thing is. 
I I really love Waterbird just because I think it's an interesting. Um, it's a it's a question of like whether the city can handle a place like that that's like open all day and kind of does all things. Mm. I think their food is like really impressive. It's very reasonably priced. It's a decent portion. Um, I was going there a lot when it first opened. I tend to go through these like phases of someone I know opens a new thing and I like hype it up a lot and bring people all the time and then I like jump to the next like yeah I have like fangirl phases with things I like hate while a lot um just like there's like a couple little things that a few places that are my rotation yeah you know awesome what are your spots Ooh. Oh, well, we have a map. <laughs> no, yeah. honestly, we've been, I mean, we're still discovering so much of the city. Um, and we've been going off a lot of what other local people have been recommending to us. But uh, I love Italian food, so I love Cucina 24. Mm-hmm. And we always rave about the tacos from Taqueria Munez at yeah. um, Zilicoa, yeah. going there and getting a taco. The tamales are really good, too. So good. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But we have a lot, lots of favorites. Like, there's a lot more here than we ever could have imagined or expected coming from New New York York. you know we were like oh my god is there gonna be you know good food here and there's great food and great great drinks and everything so there's a little there well it's not little it's a big farm but there's a farm called 10 acre garden that's like out in Canton that on Saturdays they do wood fire pizza and it's the dreamiest thing so you so little context I think you were one of the first people that ever reached out. I think I did DM you. And yeah. I was like, yeah. We do pizza night. I so yes. first of all, thank you for that. Yeah. All, like, because that was that was like first couple days of being in Asheville. Yeah, and I, I was told like, Gilly, I was like, I sent them this message. And I never heard from them again. But then I realized y'all started to do a big undertaking. <laughs> <laughs> so it got that was that's on us. But I thought that that was one of the most generous things, right? We were the new kids and effectively sitting alone at a table at lunch, and you had this olive branch of pizza, which was okay. our, like, love language. <laughs> yeah, well, I kind of <laughs> dug around in your different, like, interfaces, and I was like, oh, these people are into grain. Well, because my boyfriend mills for Farm and Sparrow, and I was like, well, if they get into grain, they're going to hear about this for sure. Yeah. Um. And, yeah, offer's still on the table. I'd we, love to learn cool. how to make pizza. So I we, mean, yeah. pasta. So we would, we're going to make that all happen. But uh, would you say that that is your favorite pizza? It's up there. It's got to be. It's really okay. up there. Um, my friend Brennan, who took over at Smoke Signals, where Tara Jensen, um, well, it was called Smoke Signals under her, and he's calling it the Walnut Schoolhouse, mm. which oh, is outside and, of Marshall. Yeah, we just yeah. heard about that. Oh, you, yeah, it's you, incredible. Cool. That's, we've been like kind of helping them just like deal with the line in the last couple of um, rounds, um, and it's fully blown up. You yeah, know? Like it, sells I, it out sounds like the coolest, best. It's really sweet. Talk through because I don't remember how someone explained it, explained it to us, but it seems like he makes like a pizza and you just come and it's very affordable. Or yeah, he they usually do. So it's him and then Rich uh, Oris who does bad seeded um, or bad seed. The he does bagels. Um, he was at Chow Chow and he'll he usually does it just as pop ups at like various events. Um, and then 
for a while he was also doing pizza out of like the back of the moth light when he wants to. I mean, that's kind of my favorite thing in yeah. Nashville is like if I had if I had friends come, I would get a tub at Hot Springs, plan to make pizza out at a friend's house in Marshall that has a, you know, historically famous like brick oven there and um it's stuff that you learn through like the time of being here you know um heard and it's always interesting to figure out like okay there's this like biscuit head to below honey uh fame that like precedes the city which it's like you know money (laughs) money driven like ability to reach this amount of people um but then how do you, without without negatively affecting, like, locals' lives, like, suggest, like, a place like High Five Riverside to someone who's visiting from out of town? Like, I am i don't want to put that on, like, a Asheville Today blog. Like, it's too important to be an escape for the people that actually live and work here to blow up. Hear that. So it's like... Yeah, I was just having this scalability talk over dinner last night. Like, the, um, someone used, like, the brilliant phrase of, like, when outside press takes a hold of something special that you're doing before you're ready to meet the demand or while you're still kind of in this, like, creative phase, it, like, forces your hand. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, I only had two kings and like then everybody's like all right we heard about it we want it and it's like no it was still in this like it was still growing it was still being formulated so like I I don't necessarily feel like Riverside is is still it's you know it's cooked Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's ready to it's ready to consume but I I want to make sure that it grows in a sustainable way totally well, I think you guys are very lucky that you have these three different locations that are all very different. Yeah. Um, or at least from the outside, seem very different. Yeah, they. The downtown one is, you know, seems very much more for people coming from out of town because it's close to downtown. Yeah. Broadway, I I feel like there are a lot of locals there. Oh um, yeah. Going to work. It's and like hang out eighty-five percent everyday regulars. I yeah. Because what? Why would you know if you are coming from out of town? Why would you drive? you know out there if Even, it's just downtown. a minute like it's just a m- yeah. minute from downtown mm-hmm. but it's it's a minute from downtown and that's like real like it, in our first couple trips here as like doing recon on do we want to move right a la your do a week and then um go to new orleans we never went to the version of new orleans for our where do we want to move mm-hmm. story like you what was the other place uh, places between Atlanta and New York that uh-huh. were generally loosely cool mm-hmm. um, and growing. Like Greenville or, yeah. Chattanooga or something like that. Um, yeah. And, and Knoxville is super rad. And But not, uh, not, uh, what, what, what just, Charleston. But not Charleston. Like Charleston's <laughs> too far. Like it's cool, but it's just too, a little bit too far in the, story of what a city can grow into um anyway with that like we 
wouldn't have been close to here for sure because we didn't rent a car until the last time that we came. Um, and the trip to Broadway wouldn't have made sense because we were staying in, you know, in downtown or in maybe, yeah, maybe the Montreux trip. First. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. When we were visiting, and then now we mostly go to the one on Broadway because it's like very close. Right to in our backyard, yeah. yeah. And it's you know go shopping at the Whole Foods. Really trifecta yeah, yeah. of yeah. <laughs> grocery stores over there. The district. Yeah. I love it when people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call yeah. It really is. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyways, I I think that there's a nice balance that you guys have yeah. for Thanks. catering to all you know types of people. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the I, I think as a city, it's a it's a thing that. It seems like everyone's trying to be conscious of probably it's something that like it's it's inherently the gift and curse thing. Yeah. And like yeah. we in a dream, this podcast becomes wildly famous and successful and popular and anyone who comes to visit Asheville listens to us for something or right. whatever. At the same time, it's like if that happened uh, it could be really good for some of our guests, and it could, you know, mess up the Riverside. I, I don't think it will. Right, right, right. But, like, there are um, – we've we've heard very little negative feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only think of one piece of negative feedback, and it was just, like, you're being too enthusiastic. Like, you're clearly still in your honeymoon phase. Um, but I could imagine – About Asheville? About Asheville. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I – moved this to today is like I was in a headspace about Asheville on that day where I was like they don't want to hear what I have I mean and I still it's more tempered it's not but like I do think there is um, a massive problem with people outside of the arts and food industry recognizing that there's something lovely that we're doing and using capitalism to ask for our free labor and then making a profit on that. I think the free labor thing is a, uh, is, is something that I, I wholly do not support. Um, and it's hard to, it's hard to combat in some ways because the assumption is if someone's asking you to do something for free and you say no, that they'll pick someone else. Um, and I don't exactly know the case uh-huh. studies that you're talking about, uh, but whenever possible, like we are all about people being paid for what they do, especially when it's a special skill. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess the the friction for me lands on like it's often um, people who have not really worked in an industry or like been in the trenches um purportedly lifting up our profession to the like um affluent gaze for our benefit and it does not benefit us Mm -hmm. in fact it means that condos are built across the street from where we work and now Locals can't come and locals are who tip us and then our wages get, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a fine balance in, in like bringing outside money in and there's like a dishonesty in my opinion of like who it's really helping because it does not feel like it's us as like the 
the working class versus the owning class. Snaps. I'm into that. We had a, in our conversation with PJ from the chop shop, one of the things he said was uh, even in some of the supermarkets where you have like self-checkout, which we almost always default to because it's for us, it's probably a little bit faster oh, yeah, sometimes. Like that's taking a job away. That's a, well, it's a job away, but it's also um, employment like, taxes that, we that they're not paying. We should pay less for that. That's what he said. Yeah, he's basically. like, we should pay, we should pay less. Like, like the they're not paying the uh, wage tax yep. because mm-hmm. they're not employing a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. And like it, I think that answer also speaks to your ability to, uh, in in the chess that's happening, you see more than just the move. You're like thinking about all of the other moves that got people to make that decision in your coffee shop. Um, and you're also thinking about all of the moves that will happen as a result of it. And that is not easy. And that's not like yeah. how a lot of people Yeah, think. the the actual tangible what does growth look like is often at the expense of the local, you know, for... Yeah, it's a it's a dense a dense topic. Um, yeah, it just if if there's always been, especially in like peak tourist season, this kind of like starry eyed like, what's it like? What's it like to live here? And like my my friend was like, I have to pay car tax soon, and like my grandma died. It's like a life. You know, yeah. like it's, it's not your vacation. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Um, there's just a, a little bit of a like need sometimes from people visiting for you to mirror back to them, their enthusiasm about what a nice time they had. And it's like not our job to yeah. do that, you know? Um, so yeah, that that kind of like grass is always greener idea of like yeah it's an incredible way of life and I'm inc- incredibly grateful to have mm. you know made it in Asheville, um, but it, through living it you're also allowed to have like your gripes with it. Totally, totally. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of the the Phil Rosenthal episode when he visits Venice. Um, somebody feed Phil Netflix favorite travel show. He is a sweetheart. Um, but when he's in uh, when he's in Venice, he's speaking with this uh, family, owns a restaurant, and a bunch of uh, Venetian locals, um, and asking about what's it like with tourism, right? Because Venice oh, has yeah. has cities move in, which are uh, cruise ships, and people come off. And um, with one of the examples was that uh, someone said. When does Venice close? Like, as though Venice was Disney World. Mm-hmm. Like, what time does the park close? Mm-hmm. Did that they is Venice. Mean, what's the latest that I can, like, purchase a thing? Like, when does everything shut no, down? Like, the, the intention in the. Yeah, I mean, when, literally, when does Venice close? Like, do I need to leave? Huh. But the idea of oh, being that, oh, wow. that people don't actually live there. Right, the right. facade. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole idea that people come up from cruise ships and they come off and yeah. they don't buy anything and they don't eat anything they don't sleep there because they right. just walk around and then and go have, on the boat you know, so they're not all you can eat inclusive on the boat that's what i was like having just i mean it's 
I'm not complaining specifically about us working on Labor Day. It was like a profitable day. It was fine. But like the concept, like my boyfriend and I were joking about like, what a funny, what a funny idea that like the, that they, at some point, some group of people were like, let's have a day. These guys are working hard. Let's have a day where they get off and they're like, okay, everybody will be off. They'll get a chance to do something with their families. Maybe they can go somewhere for the first time in a while. Who is going to work for that? We're going to need you guys to come back. We're actually going to need you to work twice as hard as you were working before because we had this holiday for you and yeah. you need to work it. Yeah. So it was, I did, I did a little homework on it. It was labor unions primarily uh, starting in New York. There was like, you know, like the nail pressing union, the uh, iron workers union. Right. Um, is how is how that bad boy started. It's like a small little for for their members for their members, and so like it was a f- felt. I wouldn't say it was a strike, but the way that it, it read to me was like to your point. It's like, hey, let's celebrate these people. Let's give them a day off. Um, and then in, not realizing, in, oh, where will they go and how will they recreate? We will need more of you guys to facilitate that. Yeah, yeah. It was. It, it seems interesting. It was like. In a matter of some single digits of years, it went from a thing that a union in, call it New York City, did to a national holiday. Four-day weekend or three-day weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Bananas. Which leads us to our next question. Perfect segue. If you had a magic wand. (laughs) It's not a good segue. If you had a magic (laughs) wand. uh, Or we had a magic. Damn it. I messed it up. If we had a magic Mm. wand and could offer you... uh, a wish to be granted, whether we could do it or our audience can do it, and this is can be any type of question or response that you would like, what wish today would you ask for? Wow. That's a good question. Um, I wish it were... I wish it came more naturally to me to take action versus passively worry. Hmm. But it doesn't. Hmm. <laughs> Dang. That is, that's a great freaking wish. Kind of caught, caught in a lot of like, so a lot of systems that I recognize are detrimental and then kind of zooming out and being like i'm really complicit in a lot of these systems and i'm not i'm not sure how to extricate myself from them Mm. other than not being as you know commodity convenient selfish driven so it's just kind of a a a loop of, of thinking about that yeah yeah huh yeah i think uh there's lessons to be learned for everybody and, and that in some way and everyone's different, you know, certain degrees. But I was thinking about that today and I don't know if this is exactly what you were talking about, but the idea of, you know, it's like, oh, I, w- I really wish Asheville had a composting like system or like, pe- you like know, public. like a public and yeah. free, right? right like right. where you didn't have to pay someone to come and do it or like we should get a tax benefit for that, right? For composting. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking, I'm like, I haven't done anything. I mean, I've been here for four months, but mm-hmm. what have I done to change that or to contribute to that? But Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a, it's a yeah. testament to our, like, 
reward system indoctrination as a country that like we expect like I should get I should get a kickback for bringing my own bag yeah I should get a a kickback for biking here and like occasionally I can like break out of that and be like no that's just like the right thing to do yeah like you don't actually (laughs) don't get a cookie for doing that right you know and and in fact like I'm I'm more on the camp of like no you have to pay a dollar if you want to use a bag yeah or you want to do this thing that we all have the science Mm. right you know but instead I guess the the that's kind of one of those um overly proud of itself issues I have with Asheville which is like the absolute pettiness around kickbacks for good behavior Mm -hmm. that is like enraging yeah yeah so that leads me to think about the idea of like carrots and sticks and what gets people to act the way that you want is it the carrot of here's the cookie you did a good job or is it the stick of um the shame shame or like the the cowboy wisdom i i think a lot about i had a friend who who was writing down he was in his i think 50s and he wrote down all the bits of cowboy wisdom that he had heard in his life and cowboy wisdom is like little amorphisms i think that just are are true Mm -hmm. and are just captured in a beautiful way and also happen to be cowboy like and one of the things with horseback riding he said was that you want to always make the right thing easy and you want to make the hard thing wrong or the the wrong thing hard oh yeah and this is everything is completely set up the other way yeah for sure so he's like you, you can never tell a horse what to do but you can make the wrong thing a little bit harder for them to mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. um but at the end of the day they're going to do whatever they want the horse is you know thousands of pounds um and that's something that's always stuck with me and so i don't know exactly the scale that you're talking about when you say, like, I wish I was more wired for action. But my thought is back to the cowboy wisdom um, that says try to make the action that you want to take. Yeah, easy. like I, I pay I pay a lot of money to go to a yoga studio where the caliber of teachers is really awesome and the class size is low enough that I can kind of like do a headstand and fall and not hit someone. Mm. But it's incredibly white and elitist in terms of who is able to go there. And it's like, I don't, in my mind, I'm not a part of that. But of course I am, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I've made that justification because I don't have to drive as far to get to it. Or because this is my time and I want to get better at this thing. So, mm-hmm. But like, it is, there's a, a byproduct in all of our transactions. And that's part of getting older is realizing like, no, you're, I, I've started really like toying with this idea of like be thinking that you are a, an ally or working towards the solution is quite possibly a more dangerous place to be than just ignorantly not working towards it. And, like, extending that to myself of, like, this is a dangerous little subcategory of people that smugly think that they are working towards the solution. Because it allows you to not look at what am I doing that's actually unraveling this good that I think I'm doing by simply knowing that it's bad. What What I'm hearing yet again is that's that a bell hook. 
yeah. sort of um, premise. Simply, simply like showing showing a negative behavior in order to consume it as as art is not changing that negative behavior. You know, like showing um, you know homophobic violence and then saying like, oh, they're they're writing the show in order to kind of speak to what's happening. If there's not a solution suggested. Or if they're if you're not showing a better way of interacting, um, then are you not just increasing the amount of times that you're seeing this behavior and then becoming no, desensitized to it? Mm. So like it's um, this kind of like shock value of presenting trauma without a solution is not it shouldn't be given this dignity of like elevating that to art and that like was really powerful for me you said bell hooks Mm -hmm. she's a um black feminist thinker from like civil rights the um, women's lib movement what i was pointing towards is just that you see the world many moves happening at once like like uh like my man sherlock holmes play by (laughs) (laughs) played by whoever played him i can't think of it uh but like where the there's I just see physics equations happening around your brain, and that is um, what I'm identifying as a superpower for you. I I hope that it um, I don't know I I'm thankful for this conversation. I don't I don't know if we're done yet. I don't know if we have other questions to ask. But like it was a good use of my time. I hope that the audience feels that Thanks. way too. Yeah. No. Thank you very much for your insight and experience like sharing of your experience I think that it's um unique and powerful and I'm very excited to see more from the coffee community eh mm-hmm. and from you yeah thanks here's thanks to the, for inviting me yeah thank you for having us on this lovely day And that was episode 22. With Emily Peel. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to learn more about the things that we talked about in this episode, you can always visit our show notes page at makingitinashville.com slash 022. And if you liked the episode and want to let us know, you can do that by, you know, a comment or a review on ideally iTunes podcast uh, player, because um, that is kind of the heart and soul of podcast today. It's a fragmented marketplace, but your reviews there help more people find this podcast, help more people hear the stories on this podcast, and for that, we are thankful. Yep, and we're always looking for new people to interview in Asheville, so if you'd like to nominate your, someone, including yourself, uh, you can visit makingitinashville.com slash podcast. And so uh, Sarah and I will be taking off tomorrow morning to start our honeymoon. But if you're not, we have episodes queued up, ready to rock, ready to play through your car speakers, your headphones, whatever you listen to on um, for the next two weeks. So please enjoy those. And we will be back uh, shortly with more interviews with Asheville Makers. Sarah, we did it. 22. High five. five. Oh, we're married. Uh, And it's high five. Oh, my God. High five.